Have you been searching for a word from the Lord? You want to feel his presence. You want to feel his love. Well, look no further, cause no matter who you are, you're all welcome here at Rising standing go ahead and stand all right all right there's a word from the lord on today and while you standing i want to remind us let's also be in prayer for sister shirley adams uh this past week she lost her granddaughter nine years old uh, uh type one diabetic went into the hospital got COVID. four days later she was gone so be in prayer for sister shirley Adams had a chance to call her. She's really taking the heart. And thank you, Pastor Donna, as well, for going over and calling her and ministering to her. Amen. We thank God for the, the uh, pastoral care ministry. Amen. You guys are doing a fantastic job helping us out, making sure that we take care of our people. Amen. Those are the three primary things that God has called me to do, and I appreciate you guys helping me do that. That's to lead the flock, feed the flock, and take care of the flock. Amen. Amen. So thank you for what you do for me. Also, Brian Collot was in TMC earlier this week, but he went home, so we praise God for that as well. So thank you, Sister Lewis, for calling Rhonda, Rhonda and checking on them. Amen. We just need to call each other and check on each other and pray for each other. Amen. And be there for each other. Amen. And help each other. Amen. That's what it's all about. That's why it's so important to be connected to a church family. And the key word is family. We need a family. And think of the church as your extended family. Uh, now, as black people, I shouldn't even have to make that speech. Amen. Where would we be without the church as a people? Amen. That's what got us out of slavery. That's helped us to deal with segregation and Jim Crow and Jane Crow. Amen. Let's not get so educated and so prosperous that we forget the church and the God who brought us. All right. I'm in my message. I'll say that for the sermon. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and put the text up and let's go ahead and read these verses. Psalms 42 verses 1 through 11. Psalms 42, verses 1 through 11, reading from the NIV for the director of music, Emissa Meiskel, of the Sons of Korah. As the deer pants for screams or water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Who can, uh, when can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. Why people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I used to go to the house of God under protection of the mighty one who shouts with shouts of joy 
and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. <clears throat> my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you <clears throat> from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from my miser. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your ways and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Amen. <clears throat> I want to use for a subject, praise your way out of it. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you right now. In the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for life, health, and strength, God. God, we want to thank you how you have brought us through another week, oh dear God. God, we want to thank you how you have watched over us, how you have kept us from all hurt, harm, and danger, how you continue to bless us, oh dear God. God, thank you for waking us up early this morning, oh dear God, touching us with your divine finger of love and making sure that we are clothed in our right mind, making sure that we still have the activity of our limbs and that the blood is still running warm in our veins. God, thank you, oh dear God, that when we woke up this morning, all was well with our household, God, we had food still on our tables. We still had clothes in our closet. Still had something to drive or, or, or you made alternative ways for us to have transportation so we can go where we needed to go and do what we needed to do. God, thank you for giving us a mindset to come to the house of prayer. Thank you, God, for our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus as we gather here today on one accord to praise your most holy name. Thank you for the Zion songs that we heard. Thank you for the scripture being read. Thank you for the prayers been prayed. Now, God, as we come to your priest word, God, I pray that you let your man serve down deep into the storehouse of your wisdom, your knowledge, and your power. Enable me, oh, the God, that I might be able to bring a word to these, your people. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O oh, Lord, my strength and redeemer. For this is your servant's prayer in the marvelous, matchless, majestic name of Jesus, our Messiah, and all the people God said, amen, amen, and amen. Blessed One more time. reintroduce our series before I get into the heart of my message on today. Today we want to continue our series on our six purposes of our church. As you see this particular slide every Sunday, we try to remind you why we are here and what we're supposed to be doing while we are here. Okay? These are our six purposes. These are the pillars in which our church is built. 
And then we have our vision statement. Our tagline is a local church with a global reach. That's based on Acts 1 and 8. And when you look at the six purposes, those six purposes are built on Acts 2, 41 through 47. That's the blueprint for the New Testament. Okay? That's the blueprint for the New Testament church. And we want to follow that same blueprint in the first century in the 21st century. God gave us the original blueprint, and we just need to follow that. So we said there, they are membership, which has to do with fellowship, and that's why I encourage you guys to not just come to church, but I want you to get connected to the church and be actively involved with the church. Listen, as a Christian, it is not enough just to believe. You also need to belong. God expects you to be part of a family. If you are a sheep, God wants you to be attached to a sheep fold, okay? You're just not out there doing your own thing willy-nilly, okay? No man is an island. No woman is an island. We, watch this, we grow best and we serve best when we do it together with others, okay? Christianity is all about one another, supporting one another, pray for one another, help one another, confess to one another, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So membership is very important. Fellowship is very important. Like I said, it's the Greek word, kononia, which means uh, partnership. We are in community together. We commune together. We communicate, okay? We are united to Christ, who is the head of the church, and we should be united to the body, which consists of all born-again believers. Then we talk about maturity. Once you get saved, you just don't sit soaking sour. You need to grow. Peter said, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said to those disciples, if you continue in my word, then you are indeed my disciples and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So it's knowing Christ and then it's growing in Christ. Maturity. We want you to become mature believers. Amen. Paul said, desire to, uh, Peter said, desire to sincere make of the word that you might be able to grow thereby. <clears throat> the third one is ministry, service. And again, once we get saved, we have been saved to serve. We are saved by grace through faith unto good works. We are not working to get saved. We are working because we are saved. And God has called every person to go into the vineyard and work. And God said, whatever is right, I'll pay you. Don't look to man for your accolades. I'll pay you. That's why the Bible says, therefore be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord. For you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So God wants everybody working, doing something. Then we talked about missions on last Sunday or evangelism, that God expects us not only to know him, to grow in him, and to serve him, but also to share him. <clears throat> We're supposed to share our faith with those who are lost. He said, go to Jerusalem and tarry there or stay there until you have been endured with power from on high. And once you get this supernatural power, you're supposed to be my witnesses. Started in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then to the othermost parts of the earth. So once you get saved, you're supposed to start with the people you know. Okay? Before you try to save the world, try to get your own family saved. <clears throat> Amen, somebody. <laughs> Amen. Start with the people in your own house, your own circle of influence, your relatives, amen, co-workers, acquaintances, and then move out from there. 
And then today we want to talk about magnification, which has to do with worship. And then next Sunday we're going to talk about management, <clears throat> a stewardship. Okay? So we believe if we do these six things well here at Rise and Star, Rise and Star will always be a healthy church. It will be a balanced church, and it will be a strong church. And we said that we do not want a church that is personality-driven. When I found this paradigm that Rick Warren put together in his book called The Purpose-Driven Church, I said, that's the secret sauce. That's the formula that we need at Rise and Star. We, we don't need another church or another movement built on the personality of a person. Because anytime you build something on the personality of a person, all the devil has to do is to take out the person and it comes crumbling down. That's what happened with the civil rights movement when they killed Dr. King because everything was built around Dr. King. Are you with me? I'm saying that we got to make sure that Rising Star is built on the six purposes. And as long as we are built on the six purposes, the foundation principles of the New Testament, regardless of who's the senior pastor, if we continue to do these six things well, this church will always not just survive, it will thrive. Are you with me? So that's why, that's why we don't need little cliques and fan clubs in the church. I'm a Peter, I'm a Paul, I'm a Christ. Okay. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Watch this. Jim Collins wrote a book uh, not too long ago. Maybe some of you uh, have read this book. It's called Built to Last. Anybody ever heard of that book by Jim Collins? It's called Built to Last. And he analyzed these different companies out there, and he was trying to figure out why some companies lasted for a long time, decades, many, many years, while others folded. He said because they had two different types of leaders. In this book called Built to Last, the companies that only lasted for a little while and once the leader passed off the scene, the company folded, it's because they didn't have the right kind of leader. He said there are two types of leaders. He said the first type of leader, everything is built around the leader, and the leader knows how to tell time. As long as the leader is around, he can tell time and the company do well. He said the second type of leader you need to have is not the one who can just tell time, but that leader is there to build a clock, not just to tell time. When you learn how to build a clock, amen, regardless of who's there, amen, the organization will stand. Now, he wrote another book called From Good to Great. He said, a number four leader is a leader with a great personality, with charisma. They can draw people. I mean, you know, people, you know, always chanting their name. They the man, whatever the case may be. They're the woman. They're the superhero, and everything is really built around them. He said, that's a level four leader. They're all out in front. Their name is on the marquee, the letterhead, and everything is built around the leader. He said, that's a level four leader. He said, but a level five leader does not build the organization around him or her. He's there in the background, so to speak, and he's raising up other leaders and he's poured into other leaders so that when he passes off the scene, there's a peaceful transition of power. Come on, somebody. He's not trying to tear the thing up on his way out. Amen. He does not want to see the organization fall after he leaves. Amen. Because you can't have real success without a successor. And if you don't set the organization, 
organization up for success after your departure, you are a poor leader in the first place. You need to be looking for people right now to take your place. You don't need to step down and wait for Pastor Lewis to find somebody to take your place. You ought to be looking at somebody right now. You should be mentioning them right now and helping them to grow so that when you die, when you exit, when you get sick, when you quit, whatever the case may be, they can step up and not skip a beat and the church will continue to grow. That's when you know it's not about you, but it's about the kingdom of God because if you don't do what you're supposed to do and raising up other leaders and mentoring other leaders and building stuff around you, you're going to have to answer to God someday and not to Pastor Lewis. Watch this. Good leaders, secure people, are not threatened by other people. I think I better stay there for a while. I said when you are a secure leader and you know God has called you to do something, you're not threatened by nobody because I don't care how good you can preach, how good you can pastor, you still can't do it like Amos Lee Lewis. Because this is my assignment for this season. Amen, somebody. And I don't care if I bring T.D. Jakes in here and he preached the church down, the Father and Sunday, I still be the pastor. Because can't nobody beat you being yourself. Come on, somebody. He didn't call me to get up here and try to preach like C.L. Franklin or T.D. Jakes or Billy Graham. He called me to be Amos Lee Lewis, the country boy from Pinkett, Alabama. Come on, somebody. And what you see is what you get. And, and if you have been assigned to me, if you have been assigned to this church, then what I say and what I do, it resonates with you. And it makes sense to you. And you want to follow because you want my sheep. If you keep telling me what they're doing at Grace Temple, that means that you pass a Scott sheep. You got the wrong shepherd, baby. You're in the wrong pen. You're in the wrong flock. Okay. okay, now let me get to my sermon. All right. So, so, so again, when, when you watch, when you have good spiritual self-esteem, you know who you are and you know whose you are. You're not threatened by talented, smart, gifted people. Listen, if you're talented, smart, and gifted, I'm not threatened by you, but don't get in my way either. In other words, don't get in my lane to try to tell me how to pastor because that's not your calling. Come on, somebody. But as long as you're doing what God called you to do, we okay. And I'm not threatened by you. And, but I'm thanking God for you because God has assigned you to me to help take the church to the next level. All right, here we go. Therefore... We are growing. How are we growing, Pastor Lewis? We're growing warmer through fellowship. And let me just help some people right here. On Sunday morning, if you ain't smile all week long, <laughs> practice smiling for about two hours when you come on Sunday. We don't need nobody up here look like they've been sucking on limbers. You can't smile. Come on, somebody. You don't speak to nobody. You don't shake nobody's hand. You don't pat nobody on the back. Come on, somebody. 168 hours, reserve two hours of energy on Sunday morning so when you get here, you can be excited, you can be enthusiastic, you can smile, you can speak to people. Watch this. Because nobody wants to be a part of a cold, dead church. 
Watch this. Even a, even a dog will follow and come to your house if you be nice to him. You don't have to be the best preacher. Don't have to have the best facilities. Don't have to have the best music or choir. But if you can love people, I'm going back to that church because they showed me some love. They welcomed me. They treated me like family. The people spoke to me and they smiled and they gave me a hug and they gave me a high five and somebody called me and somebody took me out to dinner and somebody checked on me. Warmer through fellowship. Amen. And not only warmer, but deeper through discipleship. In other words, we just won't want these little pop psychology sermonettes on Sunday morning. And you know, if you're at Rise Star, you don't get those because you know I be digging deep. And I cut your mama. Come on. Amen. 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 I do not discriminate. Amen. I, I offend everybody every Sunday. Amen. Including myself. I be stepping on my toes all week. Amen. So deeper through discipleship, getting into the word of God, because the word of God is a mirror. And the word of God is going to show us exactly how we look. Not how you think you look. Not how your friends say you look. The word of God is going to tell you exactly how you look and where you stand. And we need to make the proper adjustment. But what, what, what's happening in our culture is, people look at the word of God, and even in some of our churches, and they don't like what they see. So what they do, rather than changing themselves, they try to change the mirror. Okay, that's enough about that. Okay, then we're growing broader through ministry. Okay, through all the different things that we do here. Acts 432, church on the street, and right on down the line. All the different things that we do. We're growing broader through ministry. Bright Star just had that uh, this weekend. Then we're growing larger through evangelism. We have so many people right now. We're on a growth wave. We have so many people that we have to schedule them a month out to be baptized. Because the max we can baptize is 10 people. So we had 10 this month. We got 10 lined up for the next month and the next month and the next month. We got people lined up to be baptized for the rest of the year. We are growing. Amen. So praise God for that. Okay. So we're growing larger through evangelism, stronger through worship. That's where we are today. Okay. So let me get into my message because I don't have long to stay here. Then next week, don't skip next Sunday because I'm going to talk about money. I ain't coming next Sunday because he's going to kill the spirit. And you're right. I'm going to kill the spirit of being stingy. <laughs> Amen. All right. As we come to our text. The book of Psalms is the Jewish hymnal of the Old Testament. And it's not just one book. The book of Psalms is really five books in one book. The first book or the first division is Psalms 1 through 41. The second division is Psalms 42 through 72. The third division is Psalms 73 through 89. The fourth division is Psalms 90 through 106. And the fifth and last division is Psalm 107 through 150. And notice 150, it talks about at the beginning of that psalm and at the end of the psalm, praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. So the whole book of psalm is written to teach us how to praise ye the Lord. All right? Now, I'll say more about that as we get into our message. Now, the, this, this is the first of 10 psalms by the sons of Korah. Okay? Psalms 42 and 43 were really together there at one point. But 42, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, uh, 49, 85, 87, and 88. Okay? 
Now, it is a song which David sang when he was in exile, okay, according to uh, one group of scholars. Another group of scholars say that it's the psalm for the backsliding Jews, okay, Psalms 42, okay? But this psalm longs to be, or this psalmist longs to be in God's presence, okay? He feels abandoned by God, but hopes that God will come to him once again. Now, since this is Suicide Prevention Month, let me say a few things about suicide, Okay, suicide and suicidal behavior continue to present key challenges for public policy and health services. Okay, with increasing suicide deaths in some countries, such as the United States of America, and we lead the industrialized countries when it comes to suicide. The development of suicide risk is complex. Listen to me. The development of suicide risk is very complex, involving contribution from biological. In other words, some people commit suicide because of a biological thing going on with them, including genetics, okay? Something in the genes, okay, in the DNA that makes them vulnerable, the biological aspect of it, okay? And then there's the psychological aspect of it. Uh, people who commit suicide seem to have certain personality traits, Okay, and then there's a clinical side to it. Okay, uh, a psychiatric illness or mental illness. Okay, and watch this, which is surprising. There's also a social aspect of committing suicide, as well as an environmental aspect to committing suicide. Stick with me here. Watch this. Basically, I said all that to say this. Even as a Christian, spirit feel. Been saved a hundred years and got a Bible bigger than the pulpit. <laughs> Watch this. It's okay not to be okay. I said, it's okay not to be okay as a Christian. Because sometimes we put on that front that everything is okay. I don't have no problem. No, you don't need to pray for me because my life is perfect. Stop lying. We know you lying. Come on, somebody. We see the heavy burden that you're carrying. We see the lines in your face. Come on, somebody. Look like you ain't slept in a week. We see the signs that you are not okay. So stop pretending to be Superman and Wonder Woman. Now, to drive my part home, I'm not trying to offend nobody. I'm just trying to drive this point home. When you think that you can handle the whole world by yourself, and you don't need no help, and you don't need no counseling, and you don't need no support group, and right on down the line. The S on your chest does not stand for Superman. It stands for stupid man. Are you with me? God did not fix us so that we can operate in this world by ourselves. God made us so that we need one another. What did he say to Adam right from the beginning? It is not good. For man to be alone. Right from the beginning. All right, now listen to this. It's so it's okay, listen to me, to not be okay. I was reading Lady Gaga, as beautiful as she is, as talented as she is, as creative as she is, as famous as she is, as rich as she is, she think about committing suicide every day. And hate the fact that she's famous. And a lot of people think if I'm famous, if I'm good looking, I'm talented, I'm popular, I got money, I don't have no problems. 
Well, baby, you better think again. Now, now, here's the suicide hotline just in case you're thinking about it. 988. 988 is the suicide hotline. Not 911. 988. So keep that number. And if anybody's struggling with suicidal tendencies, have them to call 988. Okay? The other thing I found out, there are social reasons why people commit suicide. Financial ruin. Filing bankruptcy. Being broke will cause some people to commit suicide. Anybody remember the Great Depression? Okay, how many of y'all remember reading about it? <laughs> like, Pastor, you going too far back. I don't know nothing about it. <laughs> All right. Now, during the Great Depression, you had many highly successful people who had money and prestige and status committing suicide. Now, watch this. The suicide rate, however, amongst black people didn't go up during the Great Depression. <laughs> come, on. come on, somebody. We were already broke. Come on, somebody. We got a PhD in the Great Depression. We were already depressed. What are you talking about? It's the Great Depression. We already been depressed. We've been depressed for generations. We got a PhD in depression. Are you with me? So we had better coping mechanism back then. I said back then. Now, it said financial ruin. I'm going to move on here in a minute. Loneliness is another reason that people commit suicide. They feel like they don't have nobody. And they're just out there by themselves. And that's why I keep pushing cell groups. That's why I keep pushing for people to get connected to the church and stuff. God did not create you to operate in this world by yourself. That's why the Bible said two is better than one. Okay, we need connections. Okay, and then here's another one that's really happened among young adults shame, shame in people, embarrassment. And some people get so shamed and so embarrassed that they decide to end it all. Now, we have Reverend Kathy McDowell. Raise your hand, she's our pastoral counselor. So, if you're thinking about those thoughts or need some counseling, we have a counseling ministry that has a master in divinity that she can help you deal with those issues. Okay. They have another organization called American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. They have a walk every year out of the darkness walk. And our sister Elizabeth Gable, if you'll raise your hand, she's going to be our point of contact. Next year, we're going to be a part of this. We're going to walk for suicide prevention. We're going to have a booth, and we're going to have our literature out there, okay? Because this is a real problem. I said, this is a real problem. There was a young man in our cell group who shared with us how he wanted to take his own life. And then he had showed us the scar where he had cut himself. And he didn't die. So what he did then, he told out his car, but he still didn't die. He said, I guess God got a reason to keep me here. Watch this. So, so what I'm saying is, when I talk about this, I'm just not talking about them people out there. There are people right in our family, right in our church, right in our neighborhood, right on our job that are dealing with these things. That's what I'm saying. So they're real. All right, so let's get into our message. First of all, David's desire. David's desire. Okay? First of all, David gives us an analogy here. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. The figure is that of a heart or a deer longing for water in the midst of a prolonged drought. Think about it. There's a prolonged drought. You got these hunters out here looking for you, trying to kill you. Amen. To have you for dinner. 
and you've been running and running and running. And so now you are tired, you're thirsty, you are dehydrated, and now you're longing to find a brook somewhere so you can get some water. As the deer pants and long for streams of water, David said, that's just like my soul. I long for God. Amen. I'm searching for God. I'm feeling after God. I miss the fellowship that I used to have with God. And I just can't wait till I can make it back to the presence of God. Amen. So I can be with him. Not only individually, but also collectively with the saints. Bishop Jester said something when she was here. She said, when you can't be in a sanctuary, make your home a sanctuary. Make your car a sanctuary. Make your office a sanctuary. Come on, make your bathroom a sanctuary. But we all need a special place where we can go and connect with God. Watch this. David was a very passionate worshiper. And you can see that as you read the Psalms and as you look at David's life. David was not no half-hearted worshiper. In other words, he was not a Simon said worshiper. You know some people, and I'm not picking on nobody, I'm just trying to make a point here, because I know we got different personalities. But, but there's some people, they never say amen. But the Bible says, let the redeemer of the Lord say so. That's what the Bible says. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and we the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, and be thankful unto him, and bless his holy name, for the Lord is good. And his mercy endure to all generations. That's Bible. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear their arm and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that put his trust in him. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits who heal all thy diseases and forgive all thy iniquity. How you gonna sit down on God? God been so good to you and you can't even open your mouth and say amen. That's been a spiritual storm can you imagine spending five hundred dollars for your child on Christmas and they ain't got the, and they don't have the, the uh, enough appreciation to say thank you? Don't you just want to chop them across the head or something? <laughs> don't you want to just take your stuff back? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Watch this. But when you got a child that's grateful, you can't wait to that birthday. You can't wait to another occasion to bless them all over again because they were grateful. And I'm saying if you want God to bless your life, how about being grateful for the stuff that you already have and open your mouth and tell God I thank you for what I have. And when you learn to thank God for what you have, God will bring more to you. Watch this. But let me go to my next point. But David, not only the analogy here, amen, but David's ambition. David's ambition. I found out even in the church, a lot of people got a, a lot of ambition. They're driven to achieve, be somebody, status, prestige, power. But it's not a holy ambition. It's a, it's a desire to promote yourself. 
so you can be popular, so you can be famous. People know your name. We don't preach the gospel and serve God in order to make us famous. We preach the gospel and serve God to make him famous. Come on, somebody. It's never about you, baby. Come on, somebody. I don't care how talented you are, how guilty you are, how anointed you are. It's never about you, boo. You can't save nobody. You can't heal nobody. You can't deliver nobody. You ain't create no earth. Jesus, I be lifted up. I draw all men unto me. Watch this. Ambition. So, so the psalmist said, this is my ambition. I have a holy ambition. And my ambition is to be in the presence of God. Because in his presence is the fullness of joy. Watch this. There are some things wrong with all of us in here. Physically. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you name it, we all got issues up in here. But something about being in the presence of God, because you are a spirit, you have a body, amen, and, and all of that. But guess what? You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. And when you bring your spirit in contact with God's spirit, and when you're in the presence of God, things happen in the presence of God that transform your life, that start healing stuff and fixing stuff emotionally physically, mentally, and financially, all the way across, you start getting whole and healed in his presence. You ever read in the Bible where the Bible says that Jesus did great miracles there because the spirit of God was present? See, watch this. Worship creates an atmosphere for God to move in a supernatural way. Come on, somebody. I say worship creates an atmosphere for God to move in a supernatural way. God said you got to create the right atmosphere if you want me to show up because the Bible said God inhabit the praises of his people. So God said if you want me to show up at 2800 East 36th Street, you better open your mouth and learn how to praise me and be grateful and I'll show up and I'll show out and when it was broken, I'll mend it. I'll fix it. Okay, some of y'all still not feeling me. Watch this. Okay, some of y'all think if I had the right partner, I'd be happy. And some of y'all been married, you can testify. <laughs> I'm gonna leave that right there and keep on going. Listen, watch this. If I can find the right man or the right woman to make my liver clear. Okay, come on back. All right. If I can find the right person, everything going to be all right. Well, ask the woman at the well. Her life was tore up from the flow up. She had five husbands, and the man she was with wasn't even her husband. She had gone through six relationships with six different men, and she was still tore up from the flow up. I'm saying a man can't make you happy. A woman can't make you happy. Dating can't make you happy. Sex can't make you happy. Sweet talking can't make you happy. Chocolate can't make you happy. Flowers can't make you happy. Only God can make you happy. When she met Jesus, she said, come see a man. <laughs> I'm talking about a real man. What a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. 
and wasn't no sex involved at all. He didn't hit on me. Come on, somebody. He didn't whistle. He didn't flirt with me. He didn't ask me for my phone number. He didn't send me no email. Come on, somebody. He didn't ask me out on no date, but he gave me some living water. Come see a man that told me all about myself. I got some living water. I don't need another man. I found the man. Jesus is the man. He's the one that satisfies my deepest longings. Okay, now that's for my sex people. All right. Now here's my other group of people. Some of y'all think you're going to be happy by partying. You party animals. Party over here, party over there, party everywhere. Hey. <laughs> you, you, miss, you don't miss none of the parties. You go to all the clubs, all the concerts, because you think life is just one big party. Well, ask the prodigal son. How did that work for him? He took all his money and spent it on wine, women, and songs. And the Bible said that he hit rock bottom. He found himself in the hog pen eating slop with the hog. That's what partying will do for you. The devil make it look real pretty and real enticing. See, you see the bait, but you don't see the hook. He showed you the dance floor, but it doesn't show you the hog pen. Yeah, he shows you the buffet, amen, and not the slop in the trough. Yeah, yeah. He says, the Bible says he came to his senses and realized that what in the world am I doing here in the hall pen? My daddy is rich in houses and land. My daddy got servants. I ain't even got to be the son anymore. Just let me be the servant. Just let me get back in the house. I'll be grateful this time. I won't be no small brat. Because partying won't do it. All right, here's some my money people. You think if you get another job, make another million, fatten up your portfolio, I'll finally be happy. Got all my bill paid. Got a new car, new house. Y'all remember Zacchaeus, don't you? He was filthy rich, but he was unhappy. And that's why he climbed up in the sycamore tree to see Jesus. He said, I'm not fulfilled with all this stuff I have, with all this money I have. I am not happy. I got to find this man called Jesus. Climbed up in a sycamore tree, and he was glad when Jesus invited him home. Because money can't satisfy you either. Only a deep, abiding relationship with God will make you happy. Watch this. And anything you get above that is just icing on the cake. What's it? What's it? What's it? The problem is, too many of y'all trying to live off of icing alone. Come on, somebody. But baby, if you got a good pound cake, you don't even need no icing. Come on. <laughs> Come on, what you say? That's one of my favorite cakes. And a lot of time I get cakes from people, I take all the icing off. Amen, because if you cook the cake right, baby, it'll be good all by itself. Can anybody testify? God may give me some money, but baby, I'm happy before I get the money. Come on, somebody. I may have a nice house, but I'm happy without the big, nice house. Come on, somebody. Amen. What's this? Okay, one more thing, and then we got to go on. The reason why some people are not happy in marriage is because you were not happy before you got married. Watch this. If you're not happy being single, you think you're going to be happy being married? If you can't even get along with you and you don't like you. 
okay, let me move on. I spent way too much time there. Okay, David's despair. He failed abandoning. In verses 3 and 9a, my tears have been my food day and night while men say to me all day long, where is God? Where is your God? Personal pronoun, your God. I say to my rock, I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And I don't care how spiritual you think you are, there are times where we feel like God has abandoned us. Has anybody ever been there? You might well raise your hand because even Jesus said in the garden of Gethsemane, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Even Jesus said that. There are some times you feel like your prayers don't get no further than the ceiling. There are some times you pray for stuff and somebody else get the answer. Come on. You praying to get married and all your friends getting married, you still single. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You pray for a job, everybody got a job. Swick, Willardown got three jobs and you still trying to get one. You praying for one man, she not had five divorces. Come on. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Say amen, somebody. And nobody never know I'm talking about you. Come on. But what I'm saying is that we all have those times where we feel like we have been abandoned by God. Now, here's, here's some for you. God, when you feel abandoned by God, that's when God is doing his best work. Because God said, I've been trying to talk to you, but you so, you've been so busy enjoying your blessings that you can't hear me. So now I got to make you feel isolated and separate you from everybody else so that you can finally hear me. Can you hear me now? Come on, somebody. So God said, I got to put you in isolation in order for you to have an impartation of my revelation that'll lead to your transformation. That's what, that's what it means to be in obscurity. See, Jesus' first 30 years was in obscurity. And while he had his ministry in obscurity, the 30 years prepared him for three and a half years. But see, we want to take three and a half years to get ready for 30 years. Some of y'all missed it. I said Jesus spent 30 years getting ready for a ministry for three and a half years. But we want to spend three and a half years getting ready for a ministry that lasts 30 years. And God said, I'm keeping you in obscurity because I don't want to expose you to the public right now because your life is not where it's supposed to be in private. And the worst thing can happen in ministry is for you to be a public success and a private failure. I got to teach you how to build your marriage before I build your ministry. If not, then your marriage is going to collapse in the face of your ministry. I got to build your house before I put you in charge of my house because if you spend too much time on my house and not taking care of your house, your house going to fall down like a house of cars. And the Bible says if you can't lead at home, you have been disqualified to lead in the house of God because you can't teach what you don't know and you can't lead where you don't go. Despair. He failed abandoned. Not only did he feel abandoned, he felt attacked. He's like, Lord, not only I feel abandoned. George Mueller said this, he said, trials are food for our faith to feed on. That's why James said, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you find yourself going through various trials and temptation. He said, knowing that the trying of your faith, amen, and then Paul said, work it, patience, and, and patience, tribulation. Amen. And, and tribulation going to come out of tribulation going to come character. So God is working on our character. And I'll say more about that in a minute. 
Somebody said God has to allow us to have negative experiences so that we will make to develop a positive image. Okay. Okay. Now, the older people explain this to the younger people. It used to be a day when you had to take pictures and you had film. <laughs> and you had to take the film to Walgreens or somewhere and have the film develop. Are you with me? Now, in order to develop the film, you had to put the film in a dark room and put some chemicals on it. And when it went through the dark room with some chemicals on it, then the negative turned into a positive and you could see what was on the image. Some of y'all see where I'm going with this. So God said, I'm allowing you to have some negative experiences. I'm allowing you to go through some stuff. You're in a dark place right now. But when you come out, baby, on the other side, you're going to look real good. You're going to be wiser, stronger, and better on the other side. You're going to look more like Jesus and less like yourself. But I got to let some negative stuff come your way in order to have deposits in your life. So... Watch this. Here's, here's Queen Elizabeth II. She said, perhaps we make too much uh, what is wrong and too little of uh, what is right. The trouble with, with, with gloom, doom and gloom, is that it feeds upon itself. And depression causes more depression. It just feeds on itself. You got to break the cycle. Amen. That's why, listen, if you're going through a difficult time, every now and then you need to have some milestones so that you can celebrate. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, you can't wait till you get to the end of whatever you're trying to do to have a party. You need to have some mini parties in between. I had posted on Facebook after over a year I've been working on my dissertation, the first three chapters, known as the proposal. That's why I ain't got no hair. Well, these people that got on my last nerve, my second chair, come on, somebody. Stand up, burning the midnight oil, change this, change that, write this, write that, remove this, remove that. But finally, my chair said, okay, you can go to the next stage. And I'm saying, I told Sister Lewis, I said, Saturday morning, we need to go to the village inn. We ain't cooking nothing at the house. I went, I got the ultimate skillet. Come on, somebody. I said, I got the ultimate skillet. I had sausage, ham, and bacon. I got the ultimate skillet. Potatoes, onion, bell pepper, and pancake with some syrup and orange juice. It was time to celebrate. <laughs> I ain't got no doctrine yet, but it's a mini. I see a light at the end of the tunnel. All right, let's move on. What's, what's my next point? Okay, I stayed there too long. Okay, uh, so he felt attacked. Another thing, he felt attacked. He felt attacked. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemies? Okay, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes, they taunt me, saying all day long, where's your God? That, that's the kind of religion. Try your religion. <laughs> You're trying to do the best you can to be godly, and you know what's in you. And people keep messing with you. And, and you don't tell them, but you be saying, you better ask somebody. <laughs> Come, now anybody know what I'm talking about? I know y'all been saved a long time, but there's some still gangsters still way down there in me. Be, be, be trying to come out and stuff. I be trying to keep Jesus on the throne, but that gangster down in me be talking sometimes. Say, you better ask somebody. You don't know who you're talking to. He ain't always been Pastor Lewis. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Can anybody testify? 
they just taunting you and picking on you and stuff. And, and I know what's in me. Now watch this. If I ever back down from a fight, you can assure it was never because I was scared of you. You know why I back down? I'm scared of me. Because you have to call the SWAT team if Angles really showed up. I'm scared of me. And I don't want to go to prison and have a roommate named Bubba. But listen. <laughs> I ain't trying to go there. And I don't look good in an orange jumpsuit. Listen. What's it? Anyway. Let me, let me. Y'all remember the, the thing I told y'all about Emmanuel? My grandson? He's got that fire. Anybody ever look at your grandkids and you see yourself in them and you just have to pray for them? Said Jesus help him because... I, listen, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, I'd probably be in jail or dead. Can anybody testify to that? But anyway, anyway, the guy, was, the, the little boy at school was picking on Emmanuel. See, we know what's in Emmanuel because Emmanuel will fight a grown man. He proved that at two years old. He didn't care. It's just in him. He just got that gene. It's just hair stand up on his head. And he looked, ooh, he become an incredible hook. But, you know, but anyway, this kid was picking on him and calling him small fry. And that was fine, because words won't hurt me. Sticking stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. But he touched him. And when he touched him, all of that Lewis in him, all that Holmes in him, came out. And even though he was a little fella, took the boy and body slammed him. And went to the office and stuff. He got in trouble and everything. But anyway, he told him he started. And, and you know, just like in my family, you don't supposed to start nothing. But my parents told me, now, if they started, you have an obligation as a Lewis to finish it. And if you can't finish it by yourself, your brothers and sisters are about to jump in and help you. And if the person is bigger than you, you're about to get a stick so you can equalize the situation. And listen, I am not preaching that. I am not preaching that. I'm just giving y'all an example. <laughs> I'm just saying how I was raised. I'm not telling y'all to do it. Well, Pastor told me to get a stick and knock you out this week. Now, I did not say that. I'm just giving you an illustration. <laughs> what happened to me? But anyway, okay, so let me move on. So anyway, uh, and then we just got through talking to Kevin the other day. And, uh, and at Mile School, you know, Mile is just tiny. You know, Jaden is big, but Mile, he's just so tiny. I mean, he's a good uh, soccer player and everything. But the kid kept calling him names. And he came home. And he was, you know, kind of depressed because Miles is a little more emotional than Jaden. Jaden is more methodical. He's he more of a head person. But Miles is more of a heart person. But see, I know what's in Miles because he's my grandson. And not only is Lewis in him, he got Milton in him. He got Thornton in him. He got three gangsters in him. And I remember one time he was a little kid. He was, he was in his baby seat. And Jaden said something to him. He said, boy, I'll reach over there and bust you in the mouth. I said, good, good God almighty. That's a lot of gangster over there. Watch, I, I'm going to get back to my message. Watch this. But anyway, so, so a couple weeks ago, we talked to Kevin on the phone. The boy kept picking at Miles. And Miles didn't do like Emmanuel, you know, take the boy and flip him. Miles got the gift of gag. Miles cussed the boy out so bad. Y'all remember I told you I got the gift of cussing. Well, it passed on to my grandson. Come on, somebody. He had the gift of cussing. When he got through cussing that boy out, that boy ain't messed with him since. Come on, somebody. He has the gift. He hooked them words up, and he told him off. Now, you can't find them words between Genesis and Revelation, but I'm just saying. <laughs> listen, listen. Have your kids ever done something you couldn't get mad at them because you saw yourself? 
See, like I told you guys, I had to get the cussing. I said I had. Can't nobody say it up here, I cussed them out. I said I had. I, listen, I had the gift so good, I could cuss and rhyme at the same time. <laughs> Little Wayne ain't had nothing on me. Jay-Z ain't got nothing on me. Come on, somebody. <laughs> listen, out in the country picking peas and stuff, we needed some entertainment. We've been working for a long time. They said, we need some entertainment. Somebody go there and thump Amos in the back of the head. You know, and I'm the smallest of the group out there and stuff. They will pop me and I get going, boy. I be like, God, he can cuss so good. Hit him again. <laughs> okay. Okay, so he felt attacked. Okay, David determination. He remembered God's goodness. David praised. David praised. They got to round this up right quick here. David praised. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the mother to, or go with the mother to, leave the possession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving amongst the festive throne. David is saying, I remember the way things used to be. And listen, the Hebrew scripture reflects the need to preserve and to remember the works of God and proclaim the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God to future generations. You ought to tell your children and your grandchildren how good God is. And that's what I'm saying. I got to tell Emmanuel and Miles how good God is. And with that temple and with that mouth and with that gangster in you, and just like God saved your granddaddy, he can save the gangster in you too. And he can change your vocabulary. Amen, somebody. Forgetting God in the Hebrew mind was a willful act of unlearning what you already learned. Whereby rebellious humans rejected what they had known about God and they go out to create a world in which God does not act or God does not exist. That's what it means to forget. Remember God told the children of Israel when you get to the promised land, don't you forget? When you get over there and get houses that you didn't build, Vineyards that you didn't plant, the land of flowing with milk and honey. When you get over there, don't forget. Don't get amnesia. Don't get spiritual amnesia. Don't forget that I'm the God that delivered you out of slavery. You were enslaved for 400 years, and I performed a series of miracles and brought you out even through the Red Sea. Don't you get over there and forget the God who brought you. And that's what I'm saying to all people, especially black folks. Don't you forget the God that brought you out of slavery, brought you out of segregation, gave you your job, gave you your car, gave you your education. Don't go there. That's everybody, especially us, because we got a unique history here in America. Then, then he talks about corporate worship. Now, a lot of people, I don't need to go to church to be spiritual. But here in the Old Testament, the males were required three times a year to go to Jerusalem and celebrate the holy days, the Passover, to remind them how God delivered them out of Egypt. They were supposed to do that. Males were required to do that. So God said, don't you ever forget the Passover, how I saved you and delivered you, and you celebrate that. Don't you ever take this deliverance as mundane, your salvation as mundane. I saved you. I delivered you. I brought you out of darkness into the marvelous light. I put your name on the Lamb's book of life. Don't you forget what I've done for you. That's the first thing. Then the second thing, the booth or uh, feast of tabernacles or feast of booths. This is when they were traveling in the wilderness and God prov provided a tent for them. 
They didn't have no permanent dwelling place. And God said, don't you forget that I'm your Jehovah Jireh, that I provided for you while you were in tents out there in booths and stuff. You need to have a feast every year to remember how we tabernacled for 40 years in the wilderness and you were never hungry. You were never without water. Your clothes did not deteriorate. I made a way for you. I was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Don't you forget. So the Feast of Tabernacles was to remind them of that. And then Pentecost is really the celebration of first fruits. So God is saying, when I bless you with something, the first thing you must do is give me mine back. That's why I said, when you get your first $100 bills, or first $100, you don't pay TEP first. That's not the first fruit. The first fruit goes to God because God gave me the strength to get the job. God gave me the strength to go to the job. So I acknowledge God first with the first fruits. That's what Pentecost means, first fruits. Are you with me? We got a garden ministry now. Kristen's doing a great job with the garden ministry, along with Sister Cheryl Ali. And not too long ago, they got some cucumbers out of the garden. And they got some okra out of the garden. And David came to the office. He said, Crystal said, as the pastor, you should have the first fruits. <laughs> After I fainted, no, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I, I'm, just, I'm just so impressed that young people understand the principle of first fruit. Come on, somebody. That's what impressed me. These young adults understood that principle. Amen. And Sister Lewis took that okra and cut it up with some tomatoes, chickpea, and rice. Come on, somebody. What, what, what else did we have with that? What was the meat? Chicken. What was it? Beef, that's right. It was, it was beef, that's right, because it was business meeting, and we know we we're going to be here for a while, so she had it in the crock pot. Watch this. And this was a $15 roast. <laughs> Anybody ever bought some cheap meat and maybe be trying to chew it like bubble gum? This was a $15 cut. And it had marinated, it had simmer all the whole time while we in church and had the business meeting and stuff. And it was just so juicy that it just fell apart and then just put some chickpea and rice with that. And then had some uh, 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 tomatoes and first fruit okra. And then had some, then had some dinner rolls and stuff. And I, and I was speaking in an unknown tongue. I was like, Shilamo Shakamahaya. Ayah, that's good. <laughs> Okay, okay, that is so wrong. Um, okay, let's move on. Okay. Okay, okay, listen to me. But listen to me. Listen to me. What I'm saying is, every now and then, you got to pause and celebrate and reflect on how far God has brought you. The stuff that God has brought you over. When you find yourself in a hard place or depressed place, you need to look back over your life and see what the Lord has done in your life. When I think about his goodness and all that he's done for me, my soul cries hallelujah. I thank God for saving me. You ought to stop and celebrate. Watch this. I'm going to move on here in a minute, but I'm going to have you out in a minute. If you got to leave, leave. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Anybody been watching the royal funeral and ceremonies for Queen Elizabeth II? The, you know, in America, we don't understand this thing about royalty and the palace and the queen and the king. 
and order, ritual, ceremony, pomp and circumstance and all this stuff. Because, you know, we the rebels. <laughs> Y'all do know that, right? Somebody should say amen right there, okay? Okay. <laughs> but anyway, I'm not saying we need to go back to that. But what I'm saying is, oftentimes, even in our churches, we have lost the sacredness of order. We have lost the sacredness of having spiritual rituals and ceremonies and certain traditions or things in place to remind us where we come from and how we got to where we are now. Watch this. Some of y'all familiar with the Church of God in Christ, Kojic, and some of y'all, Bishop Mason. Okay, one of the reasons why he started the Church of God in Christ is because Methodist people and Baptist people, and especially those who migrated up north, the Great Migration, they got up north and they stopped trying to be black. Let me go to this side. And when the people migrated up north and they were trying to find a church like they had back south, they couldn't find it. Because the black people that migrated up north and stuff, they were singing like the Europeans. And the, and the black folks from the country got to the north like, what is this? <laughs> holy, holy, holy. <laughs> so, so Bishop Mason said, we need to maintain the African tradition and the African flavor in our worship. And they maintain what we call the ring shout, where you get up and shout and praise God like they did in Africa. He said, we need to maintain our worship. And when they had that worship, it was call and response. What you think about Jesus? He's all right. He's all right. Come on, somebody. When you call on Jesus, he'll answer prayer. That's what I'm saying. They brought that back, the call and response, and being able to worship God freely because we had lost it. And I'm saying some things we don't need to lose. And we could add some stuff, but a lot of times we replace stuff with the wrong stuff. But we need to put our hope in God. That's what he said. Put your hope in God. When you feel low like that, put your hope in God. Time is filled with swift transition. None on earth unmoved can stand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold on to God's unchanging hand. Hold to his hand, God's unchanging hand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold on to God's unchanging hand. So he said, that's David's perspective. So we went from David's praise to David's perspective. He said, hold on to God. And listen, and circumstances here, where it talks about deep calls unto deep, the circumstances here, the water coming down from Mount Hermon down to the Jordan River, it was just in droves. The water would melt. The rain was coming down. The snow was melting, coming down. It was just like waves, a breakers after breaker, wave after wave, amen, coming down from the mountain down to the Jordan River. And David said, it's just like that. Sometimes you can be so depressed it's like if it's not one thing it's another so back to back you're dealing with trial after trial problem after problem challenge after challenge you get your kids straight now your husband acting up now your marriage is straight now the folks on your job acting up now your car breaking down you fix your car now you got problems at the house it's just wave after wave after wave and David saying I'm feeling overwhelmed because it seems like I can't get a break then he talks about miser that word is unknown or that location is unknown but the word means little David said, in the face of all the stuff I'm dealing with, I feel so small because I feel overwhelmed with all these things going on. But listen, depression is one of the most common emotional ailments that people deal with, especially today in this uh, COVID-19 
environment. And the commentator went on to say, one antidote for depression is to meditate on the record of God's goodness to his people. He said, this will take your mind off the present situation and give hope that it will improve. It will focus your thoughts on God's ability to help you rather than on your inability to help yourself. He said, when you feel depressed, take advantage of this Psalms antidepressant. Read the Bible's account of God's goodness and meditate on that. Songwriter said, I've seen the lightning flashing. I've heard the thunder roll. I felt sin's breakers dashing, which almost conquered my soul. I've heard the voice of my Savior bidding me still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. The Hawking brother said, never alone, never alone. I don't have to worry because I'm never alone. And listen, so what I'm saying is, listen to me. I'm going to wrap this up in a minute, but I'm trying to help you. Watch this. I'm saying, if you can change the way you're thinking, you can change the way you're feeling. Listen, when you think negative thoughts, you have negative emotions, which will lead to negative behavior. Remember I said the words that you hear and the images that you see will determine the thoughts that you think, and the thoughts that you think will determine the emotions that you feel? So if you feel in a certain kind of way, you need to change what you're thinking. And to change what you're thinking, you got to change what you're seeing and change what you're hearing. Andrew Carnegie said, just like you can take your body out of the shade into the sunshine, he said, you can do the same things with your thoughts. You can stop thinking negative thoughts and start thinking positive thoughts and you'll feel a whole lot better. Watch this. Because your perception is your reality. Your O.C. told a joke this morning that maybe this will help some of y'all since I'm being a little deep here with theology. He said a 92-year-old man went to the doctor, had some health issues. Doctor talked to him, gave him the prognosis and the recommendation of treatment that he needed to take. About a week later, the doctor ran into the 92-year-old man in the park and a 92-year-old man was in the park. He was smiling from ear to ear. He had a beautiful young lady on his side. And the doctor said, what's up with that? He said, I'm just following your directions. He said, you said be cheerful and get a hot mama. <laughs> and the doctor said, what? He said, I just said be cheerful and get a hot mama. He said... I said, be careful, because you got a heart murmur. <laughs> How many of you know your thoughts has a lot to do with what you end up doing? <laughs> That's, okay. Okay, for my spiritual people, I'm sorry, so don't send me no email. Okay. <laughs> All right, okay, David's prayer, and we're going to go home. I, I promise you, this is my last, okay, almost my last closing. All right, David's prayer. By the day, the Lord directs his love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life, okay? So notice now, a little uh, Hebrew here for you, a little Greek for you, a little theology. The writer been using the word Elohim this far in the song, which is a generic term for God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the word, or the Hebrew word Elohim, which is the generic term for God. But, but the psalmist goes from using the word Elohim to verse 8 here, he used the word Jehovah. 
The word Jehovah means the self-existent one. In other words, God don't need nobody else in order for him to exist. He's the self-existent one. But the name Jehovah also carries with it that God is the God of the covenant. In other words, I got a relationship with God. I'm in covenant with God. I got an agreement, a contract with God that I'm one of his children. And because I have a relationship with God, I'm in covenant with God. Watch this. God is obligated to take care of me. Do you know that? That once you become a child of God, God becomes obligated to take care of you because of his child. Watch this. And God has never been taken to court for not paying child support. <laughs> I said, some of y'all didn't hear me. I said, God has never been taken to court because he didn't pay child support. If you're God's child, God will make a way out of nowhere. God will take your enemies and make your enemies bless you. Is there anybody in the house know you got a Jehovah Jireh that God will provide for you? He's just not my Elohim. He's my Jehovah and not just my Jehovah. He's my Jehovah Jireh. He's also my Jehovah Shama, which means he'll show up in my situation. Poof, he's right there in the midst of it. Just like Daniel in the line there, poof, he's right there in the midst of it. Just like the Hebrew boys in the fire fire, poof, he's right there in the middle of it. And when you find yourself going through a difficult situation, poof, he's right there in the middle of it. Because you're his child. God said, I got you back. I got you. What a friend we have in Jesus. All of our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. And it's all because we don't carry everything to God in prayer. He's just not my God and my Savior. He's my friend. Come on, somebody. I said he's my friend. I can call him at any time and talk to him and tell him exactly what I'm going through. And he'll understand. He won't hang up on me. The line is never busy. No call waiting. No, I'm sorry this mailbox is full. I'm sorry at this time this call is not taking any messages. He's always there. Last one, he rested in God. But notice now, in verse 5, he said, Why are you down cast my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. You know he said the same thing in verse 5? Now, now, watch this. Don't miss this. The Christian life consists of highs and lows. When you leave the service today, you probably be high. When you see them crazy folks on your job... <laughs> They cut you off in traffic and you started dealing with stuff. That's why by, 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 by next Sunday, all that high that you had today. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When I leave service, well, I can walk on water. In fact, when I leave service, I go home straight to my office and I work on my sermon for the next Sunday because I'm all pumped up. I'm all fired up. Amen. I see you guys. I feel the praise and worship. I work on my sermon right away. Amen. But round about Wednesday. You know what they, the, the runners talk about hitting that, that, that hitting the wall. Anybody can testify. Round about Wednesday, you hit the wall. Well, here's the good thing: on Wednesday we have our cell group, and that gives me an extra push to get me to Sunday. I, I, at one while I stopped going to the cell group because people complain, "Why, why Pastor Lewis part of that cell group? He's not part of our cell group." Because Pastor Lewis is a human, he need to have a cell group too. What's it? 
But something happens when you fellowship with people, not just in church, because, you know, on Sunday, we all got our church face on. That's why anybody can be good for two hours. That's why I said don't date nobody just on Sunday doing worship service. They ain't the real them. Okay, watch this. But I'm saying that by the end of the week, something happens. But let me just say this real quick. The pastor counseling ministry or the pastor care ministry sent Z and I a call this week. It was a thank you call. Beautiful handwritten note. And it really encouraged us. We just got through hosting the cell group and everything this week. It really encouraged us because oftentimes with pastoral care, people don't realize that the pastor need care too. And the people doing the pastoral care ministry, they need prayer as well. So we need to keep that in mind. All right, I'm closing with this for real. I'm going to tell you the story and I'm done. But if you noticed in this psalm, the psalmist goes from panting like the deer, panting for water. He goes to pouring out his heart. Then he goes to pouting because of all the things that he was dealing with. Then he goes to praying. And at the end, he goes to praising. You see the progression there? Whatever you go through, when you get through, make sure you put some prayer on it and some praising and praise your way out. All right, I'll close with this. I listened to a sermon this week by Dr. Freddie Haynes the third. He told a story that when he was in, I believe it was Montgomery, he went to like the Civil Rights Museum. They had a hologram there of a story of a black woman who was a slave. And this black woman who was a slave down in the South, her master had sent her on an errand to go into town. While she was in town, the master took her two sons and sold her two sons to a slave trader. When she got back from town and realized that the master had sold her two sons to a slave trader, she was devastated. She ran to the port where the ship was located, calling on the names of her two sons and wished that somehow she could get out in that water and stop that ship from taking her two sons away from her. And you know, during slavery, you didn't have no husband. They probably already sold the husband. So all she had was her two sons. And she was crying out for her two sons with a broken heart. But add insult to injury while she was crying out to God, uh, just crying out about the fact that her two sons, only two sons, been sold to these slave traders. There were some white young boys there who started picking at her and making fun of her while she was crying out to her two sons. But she went from a pity party to a prayer meeting. And she started praying, God, these are my only two sons. And they have taken my only two sons away from me. God, watch over my boys. And she went back home. Six months later, through the Underground Railroad, she received a correspondent from her two sons. And they said, Mama, we just want you to know that we are all right. She said, Mama, what happened when we got on the first ship, they said we were sold to another slave trader on a second ship. And on the second ship, he said, out of nowhere came a storm. And the storm blew the second ship into free territory.
And because we landing in free territory, guess what, mama? We are free now. And I'm just saying that if you know how to pray and you know how to pray, it might be a storm in your life. Somebody done done you wrong, but God will send a storm your way and he'll blow you into your destination and you'll be free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last because God will hear and answer prayer. You can go from a pity party to a prayer meeting to a praise party. Give God some praise in this building and thank God for the awesome things that he has done in your life because he knows how to ride the storm. He's a shelter in the time of storm. He'll prepare a table before you right in the presence of your enemies and all they can do is watch you eat. We're going home. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray this message has encouraged your heart and renewed your spirit. If this message has been a blessing to you, please share it with everyone you know. If you would like to help support the ministry, spread the gospel, and assist in funding community service projects at Rising Star, visit our website at www.risingstarbaptist.org.